Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Mountains We Climb. This is a series where we dive into people's journeys of overcoming challenges and adversity in their lives so we can understand what is really possible and what it really takes. I'm your host, Jordan Kilpatrick-Smith, and in this week's episode, we're going to be exploring Kirsten Fry's journey of healing the impact of unresolved grief. Kirsten is a transformational life coach specializing in grief recovery. You can find out more about her and her projects at tlclifecoaching.com. And as always, all links will be in the episode's description. Kirsten, thanks for being here with me. Hi, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here today. I was really excited today to be with you. Me too. We've had a number of, of really awesome conversations and I expect that this one will be absolutely no different. So where does, where does Kirsten's story start? That's a really good question because, uh, you know, our stories, I think, are ever expanding and evolving. So, you know, there's always a start and I'm in the middle, I guess, right now. But uh, this particular story that brought me to you and this podcast today uh, began about four years ago when I found out that I was adopted, which was shocking, to say the least, right. for me. Um, and, and it was, for, sorry, for anybody who's listening and they're not watching the video right now, how old are you? If, if you don't, oh, so 53, 53 years old. Right. And okay. four, so four years ago when I was 49, I found out that I was adopted. So, you know, when we talk about overcoming certain things, I mean, I think our life is always about overcoming obstacles and we're always in this position of, um, expanding and evolving. So, it was a situation where I was, there've been two times in my life where there was an, a significant emotional loss that in the moment I actually felt I had a physical sensation. So in terms of like, when I heard those words that you are adopted, there was something inside me that actually shifted within um, my chest. And so there was this sensation that was a physical sensation followed immediately by shock. And then because in my background, I've been a police officer, I automatically went into like interviewing mode, right? So mm -hmm. investigative mode, asking a lot of questions. And unfortunately, there really weren't a lot of answers at that time, because at this point, most of my family had died. So there was no, you know, I couldn't pick up the phone and have a conversation and and get some of these answers that I was looking for. So what happened was there was this emotional reaction, obviously at that time, um, a lot of frustration, um, shock, anger, and some resentment because while it shed the light on some things that had happened in my childhood, and I had a normal childhood growing up, it was, you know, middle-class family. Um, my parents were, you know, everything that we needed and most of what we wanted but there was always this disconnect that I never understood as a kid um, emotionally like I didn't have that close relationship with my parents that a lot of people had with theirs um, especially with my mom and it wasn't for a lack of trying at, on my part especially as a young person it was always this sense of trying to have a deeper connection but there was always this barrier that I could never understand why it was there. So I think at a very early age, I just learned to become very independent and self-reliant, which has served me a lot in my lifetime. But finding out I was adopted made sense because 
the decision had been made for it to be kept a secret from both my brother and I. And so other family members, I guess, petitioned my parents as we got older to share that information with us. And they never um, wanted to do that, especially my mom. She was adamant that we would never know that we were adopted, which unfortunately actually created a barrier to the love and the connection and um, the support that you would have within your family because my mom was always trying to hide this secret. And that's the thing with secrets, secrets create shame. And so you're always watching what you say. And I felt that as a young person growing up and just never understood it until this time. So there was a lot of anger that I had around and resent. it was more resentment than anger around not having the ability to have that connected relationship, not just with my parents, but with my extended family, with my grandparents and my aunt as well. Yeah. Um, and so that resentment, did that, was that permeating your childhood or was that after the fact, like once, once you found out? That's a really good question. And I think the resentment was strong at the time that I found out about the adoption, because I think the resentment, there was a thread of it always kind of throughout um, my life in different aspects, because the thing about this particular loss, this significant emotional loss about, like, I felt that I had been lied to my whole life. I mm -hmm. felt betrayed by my family. I felt like I had no tribe. Like I felt like I didn't belong. And I had felt like that at different points throughout my lifetime. And then just as a young person, because we adapt and we're resilient as human beings, just became very independent and kind of had friends as I went through school and that kind of thing, but always had this sense of I'm alone. Like that was sort of always the permeation that if I had to do anything, I was going to have to do it on my own. I didn't need other people. So, you know, I moved out at 18. I became a police officer at 21. Um, you know, and I just lived my life very, you know, sort of independent where it was nice to have people in my life. And I wanted to have friends and uh, relationships and that kind of thing, but I didn't need them was the thought process that I right. had. But the problem with that is when I found out about the adoption is that it actually brought back some sadness and also um, pain of some previous losses that I had had in my life that I thought I had already dealt with, but I hadn't. And that's where I discovered where I had intellectualized my grief almost my entire life, because that's what we've been taught, you know, but it's what, and we can get into that in more detail in a minute, mm. but I had intellectualized my grief my whole life to a point where, you know, a situation would happen. I would have sort of an emotional reaction to it at the moment, and then very quickly default into trying to intellectualize it, try to make sense of it or understand it. And then what happened with that is, you know, at some point I would get this understanding, but it wasn't really helpful in terms of emotional recovery. And that's the thing, when we try to use our heads to heal our hearts, it's the wrong tool for the job. Right. And so what happens is we don't, we adapt to the situation, which is what I had done throughout my lifetime, including this time with the adoption news, had some time where there's this emotional trying to figure everything out. And then I just continued on with my life, or so I thought. But what was happening was this resentment was sort of simmering underneath. And I found that like at that time I was, 
a personal trainer. I had been for eight years and I love my job. I had great clients and I was well-respected in what I did, but there was just this sense of restlessness and a sense of, there would be days where I was irritated for no reason. Like no one did anything. It was just this like simmering resentment, irritation that I really couldn't pinpoint as to why. And what I've learned now that that's my cue, because that has happened in other times in my life too, that it's time for the next step. It's time for me to move into like something needs to change right. at that time. So for me, it was all this sense of like having to move. And what happened was 18 months after I found out about the adoption, I actually was starting to have physical manifestations of this unresolved grief that I had in terms of I was having chest pains that I couldn't explain away. And of course, with my background, in, you know, in, as a trainer and knowing my body quite well, you know, I did all, did all the doctor stuff, had all the tests. There was no physical reason why I was having this. And it was becoming, while it wasn't every day, all day, it would come up and it was just this sense of heaviness and um, almost suffocating. Like you almost couldn't breathe. Like that was the feeling where I even would catch myself where I would be like rubbing my chest or tapping my chest, almost like an unconscious soothing, you know, for that, um, for that discomfort that I was feeling at the time. Now, was that not uh, scary for you? It was. And that's why, like I, I did, I did, I went to all the sort of usual things that we do, right. Go check out with the doctor, what's wrong with me tests. And there was nothing physically wrong. So for me, because I've done a lot of personal development work over my lifetime too. Um, and what had happened is after the, um, the adoption is that I ended up shifting careers. So I went from you know, I've had a few careers. So I've been a personal, um, a police officer for 18 years. Then I was a personal trainer and nutritionist for eight years. And so I actually ended up making a shift into coaching. And so what happened was I was coaching at that time. And I just knew there was something I was missing, not only just in my personal life, but even professionally with my business, there was a piece of the puzzle that I was missing. And that included trying to figure out what was happening here with this, like suffocating, um, burden that I was feeling. Um, and so, you know, there was a, I was away for a weekend, uh, on some business stuff. There was a, I guess a breakdown, if you wanted to call it something like that, where in the moment where I surrendered emotionally to what was coming up for me, there was a message that came up and it was, I always say it was my inner being that was talking to me because the message came up and immediately my brain was like, what? And the message was heal your heart. That's what I heard. And it came up from like the depths of inside mm-hmm. me, which is like, my, I know is my, um, my, my place where I hear my intuition. And, it, and like I said, my brain went into this, like, what does that mean? And I had met through networking, a woman that did grief recovery work. She was amazing. So I reached out to her and Jordan, I went and did a deep dive into my unresolved grief and what was, um, and discovered what was emotionally incomplete for me, not just from the news from the adoption, but from some of these other losses that I had had in my life, significant emotional losses that I thought I had dealt with, with the tools that I had at the time, but I actually hadn't. Again, I had adapted, but I hadn't actually healed Mm -hmm. that emotional um, relationship to those losses. And what was that like for you to 
you know, really do that deep dive into some of these things that you thought had been completed and done with, but then to have to, to bring them back up and to have them resurface and be like, oh, this was actually there all along. Yeah, it was, um, first of all, I have to say like I was ready to do this work. Right. So again, it was that the sense like I didn't know what was happening. I didn't have the answers. So I reached out to someone who I thought could help me and she did. She was amazing and actually mentored me not just through my own grief recovery process, um, but that's what shifted the focus of my business because that was the missing puzzle piece for my coaching business. And now it came full circle. So now I feel like what I do is I'm able to help people. It's almost like there's things that we have in our life that are there, but we can't see them. It's like Mm -hmm. adjusting the side mirror, right? Our blind spots. Mm -hmm. So I help people find their blind spots so that they can heal and open themselves up to their own emotional freedom. So I'm not doing any kind of healing. I'm just guiding people only because I've already been on the journey and still am. But now I have tools that I can share with people so that they can also have emotional freedom because often it's these unresolved losses that we haven't gotten emotionally complete with that, you know, people talk about the backpack analogy where we have those boulders or big rocks that, you know, when we're incomplete with something, the rock goes in the backpack and we just bring it with us into our next part of our life. And, um, The problem with that is, you know, we adapt to the burden of that load that we're carrying. But again, it doesn't mean that we've healed. So if you look at things like relationship, if we don't heal the emotional pain that we have for a relationship that we have with someone, we will, we will bring that, those unresolved feelings with us into our next relationship. They Mm -hmm. will come out some way. And that's the thing with grief, just like all emotions, you can't just, you know, push it down, which is what we've been taught to do as a society, Mm -hmm. um, because it will leak out in other areas of your life. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what happened to me. I was building up all these barriers to protect myself from being hurt throughout my lifetime. This belief that I had that I was alone, right? That I had to do it on my own, that I had to grieve alone, that I had to be strong, like all the time, even in my career choices that I had. And what happened is I was actually the one building the barriers now to the connection and the love and the support that I always wanted in the beginning as a child, I, that wasn't, you know, I wasn't the one doing it. Someone, you know, was putting up those barriers, but now it was me that was doing that. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to take responsibility for that. And then if I wanted to create something different in my life, then I needed to know how to do that. Yeah. That is really interesting. And I love how clearly you can articulate what was going on for you throughout the process. Because I think that that process is uh, something that often happens under the hood, so to speak. And we don't, even though it's going on, we don't really pay attention to it or we, we can't understand it clearly. So then we just don't even pay attention to it, right? Um, and so you mentioned that you, you had had this, this unresolved grief. It was like carrying around these rocks in a backpack. How do you, how does someone know if they've got unresolved grief? So, and that's the excellent question. Cause if you had asked me if I was grieving, it'd be like, no, because 
we don't even understand what grief is. Right. So for most of us, when we think about grief, we think of it as, um, you know, an, a deep abiding sadness when someone we love dies, or maybe when we go through divorce, that's how we think of grief. But grief is the normal and natural reactions that we have as a human being when there's a loss, a significant emotional loss of any kind. And so that includes like there's 40, more than 40 life experiences that can create feelings of grief. And the other definition that I like to use is that grief is also all the conflicting emotions that we have when there's a change of, when there's a change or an end in our familiar patterns of behavior. Right. So really anytime that you're going through a life change or a transition of any kind, there's the potential for um, grief feelings, even in situations that are, um, you know, that we would think of life situations that would be positive. So for example, like retirement, and I can use this because, you know, uh, my husband just retired at the end of April in the middle of COVID. So COVID's a whole other story <laughs> where a lot of people might be dealing with unresolved grief and might not be um, knowing that that's actually what it is. But so when we go through a life change, even if it's one that we know we're ready for and it's time to move on, typically it's an end of one way of our life and we're moving into the next way of our life. And so we might be looking forward to it, but we also have to emotionally complete the part that we're saying goodbye to. So for example, like even when I um, took early retirement from policing, I mean, I've been a police officer for 18 years. And when you go to any kind of social function, what's the first question people ask you? What, what do you do? do? So we identify with what we do as if that's who we are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been a police officer for 18 years. And so at that point, when I decided to change, it was my decision to shift out of policing. But I had been a police officer for 18 years. I had gone to the, you know, I had been in different divisions and had done different job descriptions within that my policing career, but I had had a purpose. I was getting up at a certain time. My routine was the same thing. I had a schedule that I followed. I would worked with the same people. You have these relationships with people when you go to work, you know, people you have coffee with, people you, you know, take a walk with, people you work on projects with. And so when we say goodbye to those things, you know, it's not just like walk out the door and we're done. Even it's like your routine getting on the train. If you go into, into work, it's there, there's something that's shifting in there. So it's being able to, to be emotionally complete with that change. So if you're fine with it and you've made your goodbyes and you've said everything you had to say and you're complete with it, that's great. There may be no grief from that, but if you haven't had an opportunity, like for a lot of people with COVID, all the normal rituals and ceremonies that we would have to mark those transitions and changes we have in life, we haven't been able to do them the way that we've normally been able to do them. Weddings, funerals, baby showers, graduations. Like last um, May, I felt so bad for those high school students that were finishing grade 12 where they're not going to get a chance to walk across the stage and get their diploma. And people might say, yeah, but we're in a pandemic and who cares about that? Well, for those kids, they're finishing 12 years of their educational education um, learnings. And it's all the relationships that they had with their friends, with their teachers, all the things that they learned, they became who they are through those 12 years. And then not to be able to cross a stage and get a diploma and shake the hand of their principal and then have their grad or their prom, like all those things, they didn't get that. 
And then, you know, even you're supposed to go to university in September, but then that doesn't look the same as what it was supposed to. Right. Right. So it's this whole change and transition. And again, we adapt, but that doesn't mean we don't have feelings around those things. You know, funerals, very difficult in COVID. We haven't been able to do them the same way, right? And people, you know, we buck up and we deal with it, but that doesn't mean that you're not carrying unresolved emotions about it, the unfairness of not being able to complete a situation the way that you would like to have done it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting for me that, you know, I think people can understand pretty easily that a significant loss will, will cause grief grief. And you mentioned, you know, someone close to us passing or uh, like a divorce or something like that. But then to to go into, well, you know, any sort of end of, of a familiar pattern, any transition in our life, the end of a chapter, the start of something new, in that transition, we can have some unresolved emotions and that those conflicting emotions, like, yes, I'm, I'm entering this new job, say, and I'm really excited about it, but for some reason, I'm still having this, this conflict inside. I think that that's a, a really interesting point and one I hadn't considered previously. And as you mentioned, I do notice it for myself that there have been times where, you know, maybe I, I, I left a job I really didn't like. For example, working in like the meat department of a grocery store. <laughs> I did not like that. But in leaving that job, I, I noticed that, that there were some conflicting emotions there. Now, this is a while ago, but um, a long while ago, but, you know, I, I still understand what you're saying. Yeah, because there's, you had relationships with the people that you worked with, your coworkers, right, mm-hmm. that you would goof around with or have conversations with and, and you built a relationship. And that's the thing. It's about the relationships that we have personally or professionally. So, for example, you know, even using a classic example of these conflicting emotions. So say you're, you know, you've had a family member that's been dealing with the disease and they end up dying from that illness. Let's use cancer as an example. Terrible, terrible. And if you've been used, you've been the caretaker for that person. Well, your whole life has been about caretaking them and helping them through that process so that when they actually die, there's a part of you that feels relief for them that they're no longer suffering and having to go through that that illness and that disease anymore. And, but there's a sadness about losing the physical reality of that person, not being able to hold them or talk to them or all those things. So there's, and then people feel guilty about, well, I'm relieved because they're not suffering anymore. And also now like my whole life isn't just about caretaking this person. And then there's that, oh my gosh, that's a terrible thing to feel, but it's normal and it's human. And then there's also that time that if, if your whole life has been caretaking this person for the last however many weeks or months or even years, and now that person's gone, now there's this empty space and all this time. So now what? My purpose, which was ter- taking care of my loved one, is now uh, there's all this empty space. Yeah. Right? So the grief can be this, this conflict of emotions. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what our emotions like why why do we have them because in in my experience when I talk to people a lot of people you know we know we have emotions we're happy we're sad but there there's a lot more to it than just that right and and we don't really connect with them well we don't really understand them well I say we as in like the general populace so 
yeah, what do you think about emotions? How do you conceptualize them in your in your head? And so this is a brilliant question. And this is the conversation that I have with so many people around grief and loss, because emotions, so it starts back, I always, you know, you hate to say, oh, it comes back to our childhood, but grief and the tools that we have been given to deal with emotional losses that we have in a life, we are not well prepared. We don't talk about it. We, most of us did not have an adult when we were younger people that sat down with us and talked to us what to do or how to um, manage when we go through these emotional losses. And as a human being, we are going to have loss in our life. It is part of our human experience here. The problem is, especially in our Western culture is we learn how to acquire things money, houses, jobs, relationships. We know how to acquire these things, but we've never been taught what to do when we lose them, mm-hmm. right? So we get really good at like getting stuff, but we're not sure what to do or all, what, how to deal with the feelings that come that, that as a result of that. So the problem is then we never really develop the tools. And even though we all will experience loss, we don't experience it often enough that we get good at developing tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we say, and, and I use the grief recovery method when I'm working with a client that's um, resolving their grief um, as part of my coaching. Um, but there's six myths that we grew up with or misinformation that we grew up around grief as we went through. So the first one is don't feel sad or don't feel bad. And this typically starts when we're really, really young, right? So It's like when a little kid, um, you know, their best friend at school at kindergarten no longer wants to play with them. For them, they're heartbroken. Like in their little world, that's like, it's so sad. My friend doesn't want to play with me anymore. So she comes home and tells mom and mom's like, that's okay, honey. I'm sorry you had to go through that. But here's a cookie. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So now we have this cookie, right, which distracts us from the sad feelings that we're having. And it distracts us from that, but it's not actually addressing the fact that I'm sad that my friend doesn't want to play with mm-hmm. me anymore. Now, I grant, now, granted, I get that this is a simple analogy, but this is what carries on. So by the time that we are 15 years old, we've had 23,000 inputs where we have been told or shown or we have observed that we shouldn't feel bad and we shouldn't share our feelings. So I know like in my household, when my grandfather died, my maternal grandfather, I remember I was 10 years old and we had heard this news. My opa had died. Well, I didn't really know him. So for me, it wasn't a significant emotional loss because I didn't really have a relationship. I had only met him once or twice as Mm -hmm. a very young person in my life. But what was hard for me in that time was watching my mom cry, which I had never seen before up to that point, which was kind of scary. And I really didn't know what to do with it. And so I wanted to go comfort her and give, you know, snuggle up with her. But I remember being told, like, just leave your mom alone. She'll be okay. She just needs some time. So the messaging is, you know, leave, give people their space when they are sad, let them be alone. And so that's one of the things that we learned. So The problem is, as humans, we are equipped with the capacity, right, to feel and express our full range of emotions. But if we've never been taught to express them or vent those natural emotions when they come up for us, 
We instead learn how to suppress them, to bury them. And this is what happens. And it starts with a cookie, right? Or mm -hmm. it starts with, you know, something else. So then when you extrapolate that into a relationship, right? So that, you know, no wonder why so many people have difficulty with food, you know, issues, overeating or those kinds of things or drugs or alcohol or gambling or Netflixing, you know, to the nth degree, I'm talking, this is excessive. Mm -hmm. It's because we've learned to soothe ourselves with something outside of ourselves um, instead of actually dealing with the emotion in that moment. And it's tough. And the problem with that is that we're always then looking for the external thing to make us feel better when really we're not actually examining what's going on inside of us. And so what happens is I was this way where we start to box ourselves in, right? We don't want to feel that pain again anymore. So we don't want to get too high with our emotions and we don't want to get too low. So we really kind of give ourselves this very boxed in experience as a human being. And we're very careful and controlled about how we do things. But at the end of the day, that's not real life because again, with the adoption at 49, it just like, it leveled me mm -hmm. at that time. Doesn't matter how many walls and barriers I had built up to protect my heart. I was still heartbroken. So that physical sensation that I felt in my chest, you know, I had always before referred to it as a soul shifting moment. It was in reality, it was just my heartbreaking in that moment. And so I didn't even have language for it because mm -hmm. we haven't been taught what to actually do with this grief. And the cost to that, we pay a price when we're not able to express our emotions honestly. And, and that doesn't mean you're sharing your story with everybody. Not everybody deserves to hear your story. It takes a lot of courage to, sh to be vulnerable with people. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be done with somebody that you trust whether you know, it's a friend or a family member that you really trust or a coach or a counselor or a therapist or someone that you have built a trusting relationship with so that you feel comfortable enough to be able to honestly share and express all of those emotions. And the price that we pay when we don't do that is we limit our capacity for happiness moving forward. Yeah. So then life becomes this very limited experience when we're actually meant to have, like we're meant to feel the highs and the lows, right? There's something to be learned in all of that. And as an aside, like men and boys hear that don't feel sad, don't feel bad message, I think even more so than women, right? From a younger age, big boys don't cry, don't be a pussy, man up. Like we hear it. And even mm -hmm. if it's said in a joking way, the message that men have heard since they were little is that it's, you're not, don't share your feelings. Do mm -hmm. not share them. It's unsafe to do that because nobody wants to hear how you feel. Well, what do you do with the normal and natural human emotions that you're going to have when you have these losses? What do you do with that pain, mm -hmm. which isn't just sadness, but now it shows up like anger. It shows up like resentment. It shows up as, um, you know, frustration and all of these things, that pain needs to go somewhere, which yes. is why, you know what, men have four times the rate of suicide that women do. They are more prone to addiction issues because they don't have, they're not allowed the same outlets, or at least up to this point, they haven't, it's not in our society. It's not okay. And they're not just hearing that message from their dad and their uncle and their coaches and their brothers. They're hearing it from the women in their lives too their wives, their girlfriends, their sisters, because we have all grown up feeling like men are supposed to be emotionally controlled and stoic and, 
you know, don't show a feeling, but then you're in relationships and women complain like you're so unfeeling. <laughs> yeah. like, so there, men are kind of euchred because there's no up to this point there really hasn't. But that dialogue is starting to change now. I see it on social media. There's so many great people that are having these conversations because our men are dying. So if you have a husband or a wife or a brother or a son or someone like that, like as a woman, we need to be concerned because at the end of the day, we are all human beings. Yes. And I, I just want to jump back into that. There was a lot there and I was like taking mental notes of, of uh, some, some things to go through the you, starting with the point about the men and, and sharing and feeling emotions as a man and as a man who happens to be very highly sensitive. I used to think that that was like, an awful thing, right? Because we're told whether it's directly or indirectly, don't be sad. Don't feel bad. Just don't feel, you know what? Just, <laughs> just, just, just hide all that, that away somewhere. right? Yeah. And my outlet to that was video games. And so I, I didn't really understand it at the time. I was just like, okay, you know what? Uh, I don't like feeling all the things. So when I play video games, I can just escape that. And, and really, it's this escapism that we see in so many areas, right? And, and you mentioned this beautifully with your list there, where it's like, whether it's food or gambling or sex or alcohol or Netflix or like, whatever it is, it's really just this escapism, right? And it, and it comes from this lack of understanding and acknowledging and accepting how we're actually feeling and properly dealing with that. And I see this entirely in in my own practice as well and it i think that we as a society really need to focus on this especially in healthcare and i imagine that and please correct me if i'm wrong but after dealing with this grief i imagine that your clients also see an increase in their health and in that, like the, the sorts of activities that they do, right? Whatever it was that they were escaping with probably declines, I would imagine. Is that right? It, it can happen. It just depends because everybody's grief experience is different. So we address it differently, right? Right. So what you're talking, I love what you said so eloquently about the emotions. So emotions, and you hear a lot about this now too, where are just energy and motion, right? Right. So something happens, we have thoughts about it creates a feeling about it. There's a biological response. We feel the emotion in our body. Um, so we, the whole point is we're meant to feel it because every emotion, it has a message for us, right? Yeah. If we're feeling it, there's, that's information. Like there's something for us to pay attention to. There's something to be healed. There's some, there's, it's, if we are aware of our emotions, then we can actually take steps towards our healing in the moment rather than waiting days, weeks, months, years sometimes for people to um, recover from some of these emotional experiences that they're having. And that's the problem is that we're taught to suppress and bury, but that's a lot of emotional energy and we get really good at suppressing, like mm -hmm. you say. So like the gaming thing and everything else, all of those activities, most of them, in and of themselves are not bad. Yeah. It's when we're doing them because not only are we, 
it's an avoidance. It's numbing ourselves out because we don't know what else to do with it because we've never been given the tools, right? So like I said, the first myth we hear is always like, um, don't feel bad, don't feel sad. The second one is replace the loss. So again, we usually learn this lesson early on and it's usually with like the death of a pet if yeah. we've had a pet, right? So that's typically our first heartbreak, right? So we, you know, we have this relationship. I'll use a dog as an example. We have the relationship to the dog. You know, we grew up with the dog, the dog dies, and we might be like really emotional about that. And our parents, of course, don't want to see us hurting. So it's like, oh, it's okay. Don't feel bad. Don't feel sad. It's okay. We'll, we'll go get another dog. And then very shortly thereafter, we go get another dog, but it's not the same because mm -hmm. it's a, it's a different dog. And it's mm -hmm. a different relationship to the dog, right? Like the first dog was the one that would come lie up on our bed and sleep with us at night, or we would take it for walks. Like you have that relationship, that connection with that particular pet. So it starts with the pet, but then, you know, we move that into, you know, that replace the loss into our relationships. So think about when we're in middle school or high school, when we have that first like puppy love heartbreak, mm -hmm right? Where our parents are kind of like rolling their eyes and because they know we'll move through this. But it's like, oh, don't worry, he or she wasn't good enough for you. There's plenty of fish in the sea. There was even an app named for that. Yeah. Plenty of fish in the sea, right? So we don't, it's almost like we're not allowed to express our emotions and complete the emotions that we had with that first relationship. So bloop, there goes the rock in the backpack. Yeah. And we carry it forward. The thing to understand is that all our relationships are unique. There's no exceptions to that. So for example, Jordan, say you lost your mom and I lost my mom. They both died. But maybe you had a really loving, close relationship with your mother. And mine was really distant and not very loving. So yeah, we're both having a grief experience, but it's very different, mm -hmm. right? It's very personal because our relationships were very unique. Right. And so that's why when people say, I know how you feel, we have to be really careful with that because I actually don't know how you feel. I know how I felt when I went through that loss and I can hold that space for you, but I don't know how you feel because yeah. I wasn't in that relationship with you and your mom. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing in relationship. And we do this a lot where we don't resolve what's actually happened in that original relationship. So if there was, you know, a sense of betrayal or a break in trust or um, resentment or anger, any of those feelings, which are part of grief, we take that with us into our next relationship. So it's almost like we're bringing our baggage, right? Yep. And then that person's got their baggage and then we'll see what happens there. So the, we need to be able to grieve and complete our relationships to that person or that situation or that experience, the marriage, the romance, whatever that has ended. And until we do, we risk bringing that backpack with us into the present. And that's what sabotages our future. Yeah. Because we those feelings are still there. We haven't dealt with them. So they're coming along for the ride. And they stay underground until there's a trigger or something happens that whoop, up, they come again, right? Yeah. And so I, I totally had to ex learn this the hard way through uh, past relationships. But, uh, oh, shoot, where was I going with that? <laughs> I totally agree. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Please continue where, where you That's were going okay. with that. So the third misinformation that we learned is that we need to grieve alone. So this was one of the ones that I grew up my whole life using as a tool, right? Right. 
um, because that's what I was taught early on. There was always this connection. So I felt like I never belonged, that I had to figure things out for myself. And um, I didn't have the emotional support that I, that I needed um, growing up. So I just learned to adapt to the tools that I did have, which was to grieve alone. But isolation is not a natural tendency. It's a learned behavior. We are tribal beings, right? As human beings, we are meant for connection. Some people need more alone time than others, but we are meant, we are built for connection. So even this situation that we're going through with COVID right now, difficult for so many people and it people are grieving but maybe not using that word for what they're actually feeling like there's days where it's like i feel like i can't get out of bed well because there's been a lot of change our normal way of living our lives has been stripped from us and not by mm -hmm. choice right so we're adapting as we go but there's some days that are just going to be tough for us and that's okay that is completely normal and natural there's nothing wrong with you about mm -hmm. that right? Uh, when we have that, because let's face it, when we get good news, what's the first thing we want to do? Celebrate, share it. Yeah, totally. Right. And it's the same, we have that same natural impulse when we receive bad news, right. Or sad news. Mm -hmm. We want to tell someone that we trust, but if we've been taught from the beginning of our lives, if you're going to cry, go to your room or we don't burden people with our, our, yeah. We lose that natural impulse to talk about it, right? And so, really, the antidote to isolation is participation. Is to yeah. is to find that way to connect in whichever way that you possibly can. The fourth, sorry, did you want to? Yeah, I just remembered what I was going to say earlier when, and you were talking about the high school heartbreak, right? When people are like, you know, the parents are rolling their eyes and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, everyone goes through this. Uh, and then we say things like, you know what, don't feel bad. They, they weren't good enough for you and all this stuff. And, and I think what we're doing is saying the way that you're feeling is not okay. As in, we need to fix how you're feeling, right? Instead of just saying, you know what, accept this. This is part of the process, part of the journey of life and the human experience. And I think it's when we, and, and please, I would love to hear your opinion on this. Um, it's, I think it's when we accept that emotion we're really accepting how we're feeling that's the first step to actually do resolving it yes is being aware of it and allowing it to move through you mm -hmm. and to be fully expressed right yeah. the problem is is that often when we share with people we're sharing with people who grew up with the same misinformation we did mm -hmm. so we're talking to people who have unresolved grief of their own and right. sometimes when we show up with our stuff it triggers in them mm -hmm. which is why it's like oh they can't hold that space for us because now it's bringing up their stuff and right. they're really uncomfortable which is why grief remains this really like uncomfortable conversation that nobody wants to talk about but i'm like we're all going to go through this at some stage we need to talk to somebody about yeah. this and about these normal human emotions so that and it doesn't change the fact that whatever the experience was happened that heartbreak still happened right and mm -hmm. we've all been through many losses in our lives and some people have been through and it's not about like whose is more than mine or anything else like that because we all experience our own grief at 100 right so it affects me the way it affects me right and so when people say what they need to say, I mean, it might be factually true, but it's not emotionally helpful. Yes. Right. And again, yep. it's us using our logic intellect, like, well, he wasn't good for you in the first place. And maybe he or she wasn't, but 
it doesn't help the fact that that person's heart is broken at that moment. Right. So how, when we do our own healing work in whatever way, we're able to hold space for people in a much more supportive, compassionate, understanding Mm -hmm. way. And for anybody who's listening and doesn't understand what you mean by saying holding space, can you describe a little bit about what you mean by that? So it means being able to be with someone who's experiencing whatever emotionally that they're going through. And I, and I want to be clear, like I am not a therapist or a counselor. That is not what I do. I am a life coach. I'm a transformational life coach and I help people move through transition in their lives. But because of my experience as a police officer and having gone and, and, a, a, and a personal trainer and doing my own healing, doesn't make me any better or worse than anyone, but I have the ability to hold that space and listen to people. We call it being a heart with ears in grief recovery, nice. where I'm not thinking about what I want to say. I'm listening fully, wholly to what that person's saying without wanting to fix it, without wanting to take away that pain for them, because I, I can't. The truth yeah. of the matter is we cannot fix someone else's problem. We cannot um, take someone's pain away from them and we cannot heal them. That is our own individual journeys, but I can hold this space so that people feel safe, that they feel that what they're saying to me will be kept confidential, that they can trust me, um, to be able, cause some of these people are sharing like really personal things that maybe they've never even shared with anybody else before that they've never even admitted to themselves before. Mm-hmm. But when we're able to sit in the dark and then when we're ready to go towards whatever light that we're going to, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you will get through that tunnel. But again, if you have ever been given the tools, we don't know how to do that. So it's just finding whoever that is for you in your life that can help be with you in that moment without feeling the need to fix it or make it better for you. Because I know from my own personal experience, most of my growth, impactful growth and healing has happened in the most painful moments of my life. I love that. Can you repeat that? Just, and anyone who wasn't paying attention, please listen to this again. My personal experience was that the, the biggest personal growth and healing that has ever happened to me has happened from my painful experiences. Yes. Life is good and happy. And I'm, I, and you know, you can see my personality and people say, how do you do that kind of work to sit with people that are going through that kind of experience? And for me, it's like, because it brings me joy to be able to help people to their own healing. I'm not doing that. I'm just guiding them because I've walked that path already. And I know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. If you're ready to do that kind of work and it is work, it's not easy. Like to do healing work is messy. It's uncomfortable. Um, it can be painful sometimes. So you really do have to be with somebody that you trust and that you feel safe with to do that work. And there would be people that I, their situation would be beyond my scope of practice to work with, I would refer out to. Mm -hmm. Um, But my question always is when I talk with people, you know, we are building that rapport, but I'm also listening to hear, you know, is this person, they're asking, you know, maybe grief recoveries for me, 
my question is, are you ready to do the work? Mm -hmm. Because it's not about me handing you a solution. I'll share the tools with you and I will share my toolbox with you. Um, and you can take it with you for the rest of your life, but I can't do that healing work for you. I can't, there's things that you have to do in that process yourself. Yeah. Right. And I can guide you, but I can't do the work for you. So people come to their healing, whether it's grief recovery or any other kind of healing when they're ready. It's like going to the gym and people who are, you know, wanting to transform their health or their, their vibrancy or vitality in life, their nutrition, well, you've got to be willing to make the changes, right? Yeah. And if you're not, you're not going to get the results. And that's okay. There's no judgment around that. It mm -hmm. just is what it is. You're either ready or you're not ready, or you're not ready yet. And yeah. that's okay, right? Like we all come to it in our own time. So I just want to share a couple of the other um, myths that we have, because for some people, it's some, and for others, it might be different. Yeah. The next one is to be strong. So the grieve alone and be strong, those two were mine. I mean, those, I... Those are mine. I wore them like a banner for my whole life. But being strong is confusing the need or um, for the energy and focus. And a lot of times this happens when people have lost a loved one. So a death experience has happened where you hear people say, oh, you're so strong or you just got to be strong for the kids or we hear this, right? Like you got to mm -hmm. be strong. But that's confusing the need to have the energy and focus for all the details and sort of notifications of things that need to happen when we're going through that experience after a loss. But it's a false idea to push away or cover up the natural feelings that come up when someone close to us dies in an effort to be strong. Because what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. And that was my thing. Like, I grew up sort of very strong and independent. And it, it was almost an ego thing, too, where it was like, I, I don't need anybody. I, I've got friends and stuff like that, but I'm strong. And I mean, I was even a police officer for 18 years. So I was the one that people came to when they were having trouble and difficulties. I was always that tough love friend, right? Mm -hmm. For my friends growing up. But how many of us have said like, I'm fine when we weren't, mm -hmm. right? And always when I hear I'm fine, to me that always, I always hear that acronym, right? Like feelings inside not expressed. Hmm. I had not heard that one before. I really like that. Yeah. And so when I hear I'm fine, to me, that's just a, I always ask a couple more questions, like just to check in because they might be fine. And that's great. But I always ask a few more questions because often people default to the I'm fine when they're actually not. If they were being honest, they're actually not okay or they're not fine. But most people, they don't want to burden people with how they're feeling. So we're just going to keep being strong. Mm -hmm. But as Brene Brown says, like to be vulnerable is to be courageous. So I don't even like this, like be strong. Like we hear this like with COVID, like be strong. And we hear that as a hashtag all the time. My whole thing is be brave, mm. right? We need, to, we be, being brave also means being able to share our vulnerability when we're not like got it all together and our bright, shiny selves all the time. Like, you know what? I, ha I had a hard time getting out of bed today. Like being able to share that with somebody mm -hmm. and just let somebody be like, okay, what's going on? Like, let's yeah. talk about that, right? So I always say like, you can be human or you can be strong. You can't be both. <laughs> Right. Nice. Sometimes you're strong and sometimes you're not. But if you're always identifying with being strong, well, what happens when you don't actually feel strong in a moment? Mm -hmm. So we put up this facade, right? Which is a lie to us and to the people around us. Yeah. Just be human. Because at the end of the day, we all are human. We all are going to have those kinds of feelings when we yeah. go through. 
And then the fifth one is time heals. This is a huge one for so many people. We hear this all the time. Time heals all wounds. And the problem with that is usually at the immediate aftermath of a significant loss, like when I found out about the adoption, we initially were numb. That's a shock kind of thing. That's our body's sort of protective measure. And there's an inability for us to concentrate and focus. That's normal, totally normal. And then as we adapt to our new and pain, usually painful reality to what's actually happened, we begin to function a little bit better. Right. So this is this is the illusion that this gives us the illusion that times healed us when, in fact, all that's happened is that, as we said before, we've adapted to our new reality. Right. To the physical absence of the person, whether through death or divorce or mm -hmm. the loss of our job or whatever the case may be. But time only passes. It's the action steps that we take within the time. That are the key to our recovery. So you know, I can give you an analogy about this. So say you get a flat tire on the side of the road, right? And if we go by the whole time heels thing, we get out of the car and we sit down on the curb and it's like, crap, there's the flat tire. And it's like, well, I'll just sit here and wait. Mm -hmm. Well, if we just sit there and wait and don't do anything, we'll be sitting there a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> or we can pick up our cell phone and call CAA, or we can get the jack out of the car and change the tire ourselves. But it's the action that we're taking. We're still taking, there's still time that we're not in the car moving forward, but it, that time gets significantly reduced when we actually take an action to get yeah. us back into the car and moving on again. And it's the same thing with an emotional loss, right? Like time is not going to heal our wounds. And it, it ties in with this last point, which is, and in our culture, it's prevalent. Stay busy. Let's just mm -hmm. stay busy, right? <laughs> that goes hand in hand with the time heals. Because if I just stay busy, then I don't have time to feel all the feelings that I'm feeling, right? And so all that does is keeping busy just distracts us from our normal and natural feelings of grief, right? And it can even make it last longer mm -hmm. because we're not actually addressing the emotion. Because at the end of the day, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You need to go through it. And so facing grief head on is the least painful way to recovery from loss in the long run, right? So those are the ones that we tend to grow up with. And it's because of that misinformation, we're off, a lot of us get stuck in these emotions that we have that we just suppress and bury because we don't know what else to do with them, right? And so I think with COVID, this is what's happening with a lot of people now too. Our usual ways of staying busy, go to the gym, go to the yoga studio, go for coffee, out for dinner, all, all the things so that we're busy all the time. The universe went press pause. And now we're all like, oh, and now I'm actually feeling like stuff's coming up, right? Mm -hmm. So for people that had cracks in their relationship or you know things that were going on with their job or their finances or their health, COVID has sort of amplified that for a lot of people because our usual ways of coping aren't really there. So Absolutely. We, so we end up in these short-term energy relieving behaviors that we do, the drinking, the smoking, the drugs, the gambling, the Netflixing, the gaming mm -hmm. to numb out from those emotions that are coming from us. And you can do that for as long as you want. Again, there's no judgment around any of it. You do what you need to do to get through your life experience, but know that there are different tools that you can have that can help you through this so that you are fully expressed and emotionally free. I, 
I love that. I love the way that you worded it too, I think. Yeah. I I just I have nothing but agreement to say. <laughs> and this so, is why I'm so grateful for this opportunity to come talk to you today about this, Jordan, because when I have these conversations with people, it's like people are like, oh. Oh, yes. And they might still not be ready to take action and that's okay. But there's a better understanding. And now it's like, oh, it's opened their eyes about what actually grief is, that Mm -hmm. it's actually an umbrella with a lot of other things underneath it. Yeah. When you're aware of that, well, now knowledge is power. So then we can either choose to take an action or not take an action. Mm -hmm. But now we have the choice, right? Absolutely. And now we have the awareness Mm -hmm. that there is a choice. Yes. So we are coming up to running out of time here. So I want to ask you if you had like one piece of advice to give somebody, maybe they're, they're struggling on whatever it is that they are going through. What would you, what would you say? Well, I would say I have like four takeaways that I like to to share with people, right? So quickly, the first one is you are not alone right? Your experience is your own experience, but you are not alone. The second is to honor your emotions. Give yourself some grace when you're going through these situations. The third is that action is the key to your recovery. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one, I want people to know it's never too soon and it's never too late to heal your heart. Nice. Those are wonderful. And they all, they all go together, right? Mm -hmm. They're all, all pieces of it. That's amazing. Um, so my next, well, actually, before I get into the next question, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Anything that we, we didn't get into? Anything that uh, you want to throw out there? I would just say if, if anybody wants to, um, I mean, there's a lot of information on my website. If you'd like to go there, uh, I have a free ebook that I share with anyone that's interested in learning more about the six myths in detail mm-hmm. um, and wants to know more about grief recovery. I'm happy to send anybody that um, free ebook, absolutely no obligation for anything. And then if anybody wants to have a talk, obviously I'm open to having a discovery conversation with anyone to see if, if grief recovery is right for them. Nice. And so both for the book and a conversation with you, do they find that through your website? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and if you want, I can even send you the link for the ebook. You can just put it right on the podcast. For okay. People. Then I can do that as well. So the link to Kirsten's website, her socials and the ebook will all be in the description of this podcast. So you can, you can find it there. My next question is actually for the listeners, not for you, Kirsten, but with all of this information and these insights and and this awareness that has been developed throughout this conversation, what are you going to do with this now? Because as we were talking about it, you know, it's not enough just to know you have to take action. So what kind of action are you now going to take in, in your own life? If you found this podcast beneficial, please consider subscribing to it and sharing it with anybody that you know who even might benefit from it. You never know what somebody's going through. There is so much to be taken away out of this conversation. Um, A share may very well change their life. This podcast is brought to you by Sword Academy, where you can build the best you possible. You can find out more at www.sordacademy.ca. 
see you next time with another episode. And Kirsten, thank you so much for being here with an amazing conversation. Thank you.